Mark chapter 7 this morning, we'll begin reading at verse 24. And from thence he rose and went to the borders of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered into a house, and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. That's a message in and of itself. No way to hide the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25, for a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and came and fell at his feet. And the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation. She besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. She answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this saying, Go thy way. The devil has gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 15. I'm so thankful for the four Gospels that contain often the same parables and the same stories, just adding additional information. But Matthew chapter 15, verse 26, we see here this same story with a little more of the details added. Look what it says, verse 26. But he answered and said, It is not me to take the children's bread, to cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, that the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Now look what it says, verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said to her, Woman, great is thy faith. And mark this next phrase, because this is the subject matter this morning. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. Now, this is one of the most powerful statements I find in all the Bible. You're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, looking at a woman and giving her a blank check from the bank of heaven with his signature on it and saying, be it unto thee, whatever you want, woman, it's yours. That's incredible. Now, here's what we want to do as we look at this story this morning. We want to consider our own lives, our own needs And say, I want to put myself in that same spot. Oh, to hear those words, be it unto thee as thou wilt. Now, the Bible tells us that this woman, verse 22, was a woman of Canaan. So when it says Syrophoenician, we're talking about her nationality. It says she was a Greek. We're talking about her race. Uh, So she was from uh, the Greek lineage living in Syrophoenician. But the Bible says she was a Canaan. This is a religion. So, three marks against her. Jesus Christ, we know, came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, for those of you that are looking and already disturbed just by the reading of the text, it seems as if this woman were being brushed off and rushed off by the disciples. This is not a story about the lack of compassion coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see totally to the contrary this is not a racial issue at all. How many understand we're living in a day and age when everything is made into an issue of race? They're pushing for trouble between people and people groups. But Christ was not a racist. This was not a racial problem or a racial issue, but a dispensational issue. Now, we're not here to explain dispensations this morning, but we are here to understand Christ worked with different people during different times 
over the history of mankind in Christ's ministry, specifically at this moment, would start with the people of Israel. When they rejected him, now here's what we see, going out, spreading out the Great Commission into all the world. God obviously has always been concerned with people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. That's why you're sitting here this morning. Now you've got to understand, to the Jews, uh, there were only two races. You were either Jew or Gentile. You were either Jew or non-Jew. You were either from Israel and, and God's people, God's elect and select, uh, or you were a Gentile dog. And that's why she was referred to in this way. But she already came to Christ with three strikes against her. But here's what Christ did. He was in the area, verse 21, in the coast of Tyre inside, which is modern-day Lebanon, but he's up there uh, about 20 miles northwest of the Sea of Galilee, and he's ventured in. Now, it may have been because the increased pressure at this point in his ministry, the attacks, maybe he just needed a rest. I personally believe it was his focus on a singular soul, a singular household, someone that was searching for him, someone that had great faith, and he was going to wander, venture into this territory, uh, not so that she could seek him out, but so that he could seek her out. Just as he did with all mankind, when he left his comfort zone, the comfort of heaven to come to earth, so he was leaving his comfort zone and walking into this territory of the Gentiles. But he goes into a house uh, to, to separate himself from the crowds, but the Bible tells us he could not be hid. Now, here's what I want you to see. A couple of simple thoughts and words about her in this situation this morning. I want to see, first of all, her desperation. You see absolute desperation. And folks, let me just say this. Salvation always starts with desperation. Amen. Until you get desperate, you're not going to get saved. Amen. The Bible has lots of stories. You see this crowd that is attacking Christ. You see the Pharisees. You hear the stories in, in Luke 19 of the two that go up to the temple and one beats on his chest and says, I'm glad I'm not like this other man. I'm glad I'm not vile, wicked. I'm glad I'm not a sinner or a heathen. And the other one wouldn't even lift up his face to heaven, but he cries out, Lord, have mercy on me. One says, I don't need God. I don't need Christ. No desperation. But desperation in your situation. Now, here's what the devil doesn't know, doesn't realize. He's often been used as a tool to push people to God. Because there is satanic influence in her home. The Bible says, verse, look what it says, verse 22. She cried, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David, my daughter is what? Grievously vexed. There's people there, there are more and more satanic influence in our society than ever before. What you're seeing in our youth, what you're seeing in our young people is a result of what they've seen by way of the internet and television and games and the influence in their own schools and homes. There is so much demonic activity. And here's what that brings. It always brings a what? Unclean. Highlight that. Everything about sin is filthy and dirty and rotten to the core. That's a physical uncleanness and a spiritual uncleanness. But this was, here's the first thing she did. She, she's admitting her problem. And here's what we're trying to do in this day and age. We're trying to whitewash our problems. 
try to make them look a whole lot prettier than what they really are. And even at an altar, I'm talking about even at an altar, even when people are actually confessing to God and trying to make things right, actually when people are looking for counsel or seeking help, very few people are honest enough about the problem to say there is a devil's influence in our home, in our marriage, in our youth, in our children, and it's causing us to live grievously vexed. And the first thing you need to do if you're going to get God's help is just get honest with your situation and stop trying to lie about it. Mm-hmm. You're not living together. You are committing adultery. Uh, there, there's not a drinking problem. Okay, there, there is something consuming your life, and as soon as we start relegating our sins to terminology that makes it sound a little bit better and not so problematic, we can't really get help until we admit the depths of our sin and get desperate. Amen. How many remember when you truly got desperate with God? You cried out to God for mercy, and the best thing you can do is get desperate. Look what it says when she cries out. She came, she cried out to him saying, have mercy. What's it say? On me. Now, hold on for a second. Who, who has the demonic activity taking place in their life? It's her daughter. But you know this, a child's pain is mama's pain. A child's problem is mama's problem. And this is quite the issue, this kind of influence in the home. And listen, any mother that is loving at all will identify and be aware of Satan's influence that is snuck into the home. Now, first of all, she's not going to invite it in the home. That's what parents are doing today, inviting. By way of putting technology in the hands of little children, they're inviting Satan's influence into their home. By the way of internet and cable TV and the wrong kind of friends. It's not just a Ouija board or bringing a witch to the house. We're talking about satanic influence comes through a lot of different avenues into the home. And a loving mother, a Christian mother, a godly mother stays aware and says, I do not want that influence in my home. And if it happens to sneak in, I want to identify it. In what? In the behavior of my children. If you have children acting like the devil, yeah, they, one of them may have brought the devil home with him. And she says, I want help, and I want to take care of this, and I want to make sure that the devil is cast out of our house. But she says, have mercy on me, because if my daughter has an issue, I have an issue. If my daughter has a serious problem, I have a problem. If my child is being afflicted by Satan, our house, our home is being afflicted by Satan. Mothers, you need to stay aware and stay honest. But she cries out and says, have mercy. And parents, you better understand, the devil, the devil would love to have your child. And it doesn't take much in this day and age to get them. But here's, what, here's what's going to happen. Satan is wreaking havoc in this home, but little does he know. He is pushing this Canaanite woman. And here's what she couldn't do. She was a worshiper of Baal, and Baal couldn't help her. She had searched for help she had gone out to the psychiatrist and the psychologist and the exorcist and the Catholic priest and the prophets of Baal. There isn't anyone that could eliminate the hell from her home. Now, if you got a little bit of hell in your home, you got some problems. You need to find a way to get the hell out of your home. 
You say, Pastor, that didn't come out right. It came out just perfect. You need to figure out Satan's not, Satan is not welcome in this place. And his influence is not welcome in this place. Lord, some of you need to fall, your, uh, fall on your face in this altar this morning and say, Lord, have mercy on me and on my home because I've opened up a door to satanic activity in my home. And I can see it in the lives of my children. I can see it in the spirit of my child. I see it in their attitude, in their rebellion, in their anger, in their bitterness, in their activities, in their friendships. Amen? Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. Now, there's so much here to say. I, parents, before we move on, let me just say this. I don't think the story is just about this girl and being uh, freed from the influence of Satan in her home. I think this is about God getting a two-for-one deal and saying, I want to rescue a mom and a daughter. But before Christ could do a miracle in the heart of the daughter, he had to do a miracle in the heart of the mother. Now, as she comes, look at the litany of things that are going to go against her. She had heard, the Bible says, she had heard in Mark about the Lord Jesus Christ. That means someone had gotten her the good news some soul winner had told her about Jesus Christ and his perfect power to deliver. Let me ask you this. Are you telling anyone about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I know this may sound like it's an impossible case, but there are a lot of impossible cases out there. You ought to make sure you're spreading the good news to anyone that you're around. There is hope for your marriage There is hope for your parents. There is hope for your children. There is hope for your friend and your nephew and your neighbor and your niece. There is hope for anyone that comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. The news had gotten there to her and she's going to respond. Now, here's what happens. Look what it says in this encounter. So she cries out, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. She is referring to him is they refer to the Messiah. So she had already come to some level of understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. This didn't happen by accident. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. And he did what? What is his response? He answered her not a word, just silence. Now, everything in this story defies it just on the surface. It defies what we know about the loving nature and the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We would say, how cruel to see a woman this desperate. And when she comes pleading, he just remains silent. But you love your children and you do the same thing. There are times you allow them to cry out, not once, not twice, but repeatedly there are times that you're listening to them and you're meditating on their words. You're you're taking apart the the way, the manner in which they've come to plead their cause or to ask that favor. You're you're processing the information, determining the next step of action. It's not a lack of love. It's not a lack of compassion. It's not ignorance. It's not demeaning. How many understand that? So he's just going to stand there for just a moment 
and allow her to state her case and plead her cause and to cry out for mercy. But look what happens next. He answered her not a word, and his disciples came, and they besought. So both are beseeching this woman with great need and the disciples who are having another one of their very selfish moments. Christ, you promised us a few days on the coast. Remember, Christians don't say beach. We don't go to the beach, we go to the coast. Christ, you promised us a few moments on the coast. And now it's all being interrupted. Send her away. For she crieth. Her prayer is consistent. She won't let us alone. She's not going to walk away without talking to you. Send her away. Be careful. This is, this is so often the attitude of the average Christian. It's amazing the selfishness congregated in the average church on a Sunday morning. God bless me and God help me, but God don't make me be a blessing to anyone around me. Don't make me sacrifice. Don't make me open up my wallet. Don't make me do something for someone else. Don't make me even shake a hand. Don't make me greet a visitor. Don't make me be aware that someone lost is sitting in our auditorium. Don't make me offer a word of encouragement. I just want to go in, find my spot, and hopefully no one's taking it. And if someone has made me park further away from the church than I wanted to, I'm not going to have a good time anyways. Lord, would you send a few of these away? Oh, God, on my prayer list, you know five or six names that I'd appreciate if you just send them away. And here are the disciples. We're talking about 12 men that are supposed to be beside Judas, 11 that are supposed to be the most spiritual men on the planet, and they're all crying in unison. They're praying to Christ just as she is praying to Christ, but their prayer is, Jesus, do nothing except for get her off our porch. Amazing how many Christians pray this prayer when God sends them someone in need and they pray, oh God, get them off my porch. God, they've been on my porch crying for help day after day. And God said, why don't you help them? And they might go away. Lord, send her away. Now, here's what's amazing about this woman, her great faith. She could have been offended by the silence, but she, she wasn't. She could, we, we have a generation of people that are so hurt by anything. I'm, I'm not talking about wearing their feelings on their shoulders. I'm talking about people just looking for a reason to be offended. Living to be offended. Trying to find another excuse today to be hurt. And he didn't speak to me. Well, Christ didn't speak to her. And then we're talking about, can you imagine if you came to church and the pastor refused to speak to you, and then the church people said, Preacher, would you just send that person away? Would you just get them home? Would you get them out of my pew? It, you want to talk about hurt? They'd be writing a blog. They'd be posting on Facebook. They'd put, be putting out pictures. They'd be giving a zero-star review. Uh, they would be causing all kind of havoc in the community. But this woman comes with such great humility, it didn't even bother that Christ wouldn't talk to her. And the disciples, she hears, do, do you think they're in a house? Do you think she doesn't notice that they're all saying, Christ, just get rid of this old nag. We've had enough of her complaints. We've had enough. If you're not going to do anything for her, please get her out of the house. She cried after us, verse 24, but he answered and said, 
So now he's going to respond. I wonder how long this has taken place before he finally responds. And look at his two responses to this woman. Now, verse 24, he says, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he's looking at a Gentile and he said, my ministry, this dispensation, he's not going to explain it, but she's not worried about dispensation. She didn't want to go to Bible college. She didn't need any dispensational information from Dr. Lakin. She didn't need a book handed to her. She, she just knows this much. She wants Jesus Christ to jump the dispensational wall and do her a favor and free her house of that demonic activity. She's not trying to become the exception. She just said, Lord, just, just a glance my way, just a little bit of help, just a morsel, just a crumb, any, anything you can, you can offer, Lord. And he says, uh, but I just want you to know, I was not sent to this region. This is not the purpose of my ministry. Right now, uh, the Gentiles are not the focus. I was sent. These three years are all about the, the nation of Israel and the people of Israel. And the time is coming. Those floodgates will open and the Gentiles be reached with the gospel. But right now, the focus is different. Now, hold on. I want you to see her response. She has not been offended. She's not been hurt. She's not been frustrated. She hasn't walked away. She's not discouraged. Look what she does. What's her response to what she's met so far? Verse 25. Then came she and worshiped. Now, hold on for a second. You know when we worship? After the prayer's been answered. Oh, when the music's great, when the the environment just feels spirit-filled, when things are electric, when it's our moment. When the doctors brought us good news, when our baby's been born healthy, when our health issue went away, when our financial problem was resolved, that's when we worship. And let me ask you, when do you think the average Christian worships, how often he worships? It's a pretty rare occasion, but God's got to put a lot of things in that person's favor to get him to even crack a spiritual smile, let alone worship. I mean, if you get the pianist and you get the musicians and you get the song director and you get the hymn books and you get everyone singing in unison and you put everything, the ball's rolling and the, 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 everything's in their favor to worship, you might get them for a half a second. A half a second. Something from the heart come out that might be defined as worship. Now, what happened in the life of this lady? Everything's going against her. Okay, Canaanite, Syrophoenician, Greek. Okay, everything except God is in her life. Her background is against her. Her nation is against her. Her religion is against her. Now it seems like Christ is against her. The disciples are against her. And Christ said, I just want you to know, I crossed into your territory, but I'm heading to the coast. I'm hiding out in a house, and my purpose is to reach the lost sheep of Israel, and she falls at his feet and worships. So when will you worship? Why don't you say next time something goes wrong, Instead of complaining, I'm going to do what this woman did and just worship. Now, here's what she did. Look at the progression. 
She says in verse 22, have mercy on me. Now she's going to say, help me. You don't got the demon inside of you. You don't have the satanic influence. You walked away from your house. You walked away from your daughter. But she said, help me, Lord, because we're connected. And my life cannot move forward without your help. You see the desperation, but you see the hope in Christ and Christ alone. And for salvation to happen in the heart of a person, they're going to have to take their hope. Listen, I believe she's walking away from Bella. And here's what I believe. One of the reasons is that Christ delays. I think she's already pointed the right direction. She's already heard that he's the Messiah, that he's the Savior. Now she's having a personal encounter, but he's going through delay to detach her from putting any other kind of hope in any other God. If I think he would have said, Problem fixed, your daughter's fine, you can leave. I believe there might have been a chance she would have gone home and, and stayed in the same religion, in the same life. Through all this, he's going to make it very clear. He's going to make her turn all her faith and hope and attention to Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And I was a missionary for 15 years in Catholic countries, and here's what people like to do. I trust in Mary, and I'll trust in Jesus, too. It doesn't work that way. You don't trust in Jesus, too, T-O-O. I'll believe him also. No, no, no. It's him and him alone. It's not him and a saint. It's not him in baptism. It's not him in church membership. It's not him in anything else. It's Christ and Christ alone. And this is what he wants to see out of her. And she's going to fall at his feet and say, Christ, I'm not walking out these doors. And you can ignore me and your disciples can try to get rid of me. But I know you are the only one that can bring me a solution. So I don't care who asked me to leave. I am not leaving here until I get some help from you. Christ liked that. He answered. Hold on for a second. You think it gets better? No, it only gets worse. This, this woman who is hoping to hear some good news is only hearing more bad news. Two harsh statements in a row, verse 26. But he answered and said, It is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. Now hold on for a minute. We not only want people to treat us nice, we want people to treat us in a reverential way. Not just normal, but a step above normal. Not just kindness, but great kindness. And here she comes. She refused to be offended. She refuses to walk away. She refuses to be hurt. And now comes what we would consider the most derogatory statement. Now, once again, put it, put it in the context of what is taking place in Israel at this moment. She is a Gentile. She is not part right now of this plan. Christ is in love and compassion is going to include her. Now the very fact that he went out of his way to go to her means this was all love, all compassion, all grace, all mercy. But remember, his goal here, he could have said yes and healed her daughter and cast out that demon but he was concerned about mama. Because what good does it do to fix your daughter and you're not fixed? What good does it do to save your daughter and you go home unsaved? 
What good does it do to perform a miracle in the life of your child only to have a mama go back to her false gods and her pagan way of life? And Christ is not going to let her off the hook by healing her daughter or by casting out that demon. He wants to address two people one time. And he says, I'm going to deal with mama right here and right now. And let, let me just tell you something. If you're unsaved here this morning, salvation flatters no man. A dog, we all are worms and dogs and deserving of hell. I don't care what your nationality is. You say, Pastor, don't demean me. We're all in the same boat. Christ was not speaking down to her. Here's what salvation does. Here's what truth does. Here's what the Bible does. It confronts man as he is, and man doesn't want confronted that way. I'm good. I'm a believer. I've heard people... Well, I, I, I was born a, a Christian. No, you weren't born. No one's born a Christian. You were born a sinner is what you were born. That's right. And when people react in the wrong way to the confrontation of the gospel, they're not ready for salvation. It takes a desperation. It takes a hope in Christ alone. It takes an honesty with our situation. And instead of resisting what God says about us, we admit our real condition. Here's why I believe... She was a candidate for salvation. Look what she says in verse 27. And she said, next word out of her mouth. What's it say? Truth. Truth. He said, it's not right for me to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. And she said, truth, Lord. I know it, Lord. And I believe in order to get a blank check, in order for God to respond to our faith, we've got to be honest with who we are. And most don't want to be honest. Some finally get honest at salvation and say, I'm a lost sinner and I'm condemned and I'm deserving of hell. And they cry out to God for mercy. But after they're saved, suddenly they're polished up and not honest about who they still are. Hard for people to be humble enough. To admit none of us deserve the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God. Not a minute of it. And anything we get in life is better than we deserve. And here's what she does. She says, truth, Lord. I admit, I'm just a dog. That's not a problem, Lord. Yes, Lord. Now, here's great faith. Church, when Christ can look at you and what you're asking and tell you no, and you can say, now, in this verse, she says, truth, Lord. In Mark, she says, yes, Lord, it's all the same. It's surrender. It's submitting to God. It's saying, whatever you're saying, Lord, it's all truth. I don't understand how people argue with the Bible. Why don't you just, why don't you just look at it and let's do it and say truth. Amen. Truth, Lord. Amen. Yes, Lord. But no, people want to argue. I don't care who it is. It's happened thousands and thousands of times, whether it's out knocking door, uh, one door, one house at a time, people in my office, people in a church setting. Most people want to argue with the word of God. I'm talking about man, his creation, arguing with God, the creator. And she was humble enough and wise enough to say, truth, Lord. I'm just a dog. Yes, Lord. Now, here's great faith. When God doesn't snap his fingers, when God doesn't fix your problem, when God allows you 
to be delayed in receiving what you're asking for. Is your response, I'll worship. And whatever he says, just say, truth, Lord. Yes, Lord. Even if you say no, I'll still say yes. Christians basically have the idea, when he says yes, I'll say yes. If he says no, I'm going to say no. That was not this woman in her condition. She says, truth, Lord. Yet, what? The dogs eat of the crumbs. I wish I could have seen the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how he did in maintaining a straight face. How many of you have natural features that go quirky when you're trying to say one thing, but in your heart you're saying something else? Your kids can identify that, right? They know you well enough. And my nose flares, and my children say, Dad, your nose is flaring. Don't worry about it, Ashley. His nose is flaring. I hate my nose. I, I could get away with a whole lot more in my household if my nose didn't flare. And they know if I say it and I put my hand up like this, I'm already covering my, my flaring nose. I, I would like to have seen Christ's face at this moment when this woman with humility and in her refusal to be offended and her determination to get God's favor on her life, she says, Lord, that's all truth. But even the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master. You're, you're calling me a dog, but I want you to know, Lord, at least I'm under the table. At least I'm in the house. At least I'm around the master. I'll do with the crumb. Just... Just, you know what the kids do? The kids love the dogs, and as soon as they can grab the extra biscuit or something else, and the dogs are happy with the crumbs, and Lord, I'm under the table, and I'm fine with the crumbs. And I wonder what Christ's face did at that moment. I bet there was a small smile where he just said, look at the heart of this woman. She is so determined. She is so connected. Her faith is so undaunted. She is so unoffendable. And even with that kind of statement, now I, I know people and preachers talk about the Greek, and it's, the word here is not big dogs or ugly dogs or mangy dogs, it's puppy dogs. I don't care. Anybody referred to as a dog is not going to be happy with that referral. I have people get offended in church, and I'm clueless. And when they explain their offense, I'm still clueless. Pastor, we've had people leave. Now, church, have you been here long enough to realize I don't preach to any individual? First, that's not my personality. It's not even my desire. I preach scripture. I preach principles. And when you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, you're going to feel convicted and you're going to feel like the preacher is preaching to you. You ought to thank God you go to a church where there's enough of the Holy Spirit to bring individual personal conviction. Because if you went to a church where you never felt conviction, you're in the wrong church anyways. Here's what 
Here's what Christ was doing. None of this was meant to hurt her or offend her, but this was Christ and this was love. And thankfully, she was humble enough to say, you know what, I'm a dog, but I'm under the table and I'm in the right spot and I'm ready for a crumb and, and let me church. Just a crumb will do. She was a Gentile. She, you know what her crumb was? Remember the statement we read earlier, verse 28, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Uh, let me just say this. Daughter got right when mama got right. That daughter got help when mama got help. The miracle happened, radically changed the home, and God wants to radically change our lives and our homes. And we think this story is about the daughter, but oh no, this is Christ wanting to change both at the same time. Her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now church, two things, and we're done. Isn't it amazing that Christ can fix in a moment? What man can't fix in a decade. You, you know what drives me to pray? Because I can preach a principle for years. If, if you really dissected the preaching around here, we try to preach all the word of God, but there's about 15 general principles that are preached constantly in different ways through different texts. But despite that preaching, there are some They've been coming to church for years, decades, and still not living out those Bible principles. And I don't care who comes through, what evangelist, and what conference, what revival, what missionary, and what text, and what tactic, and the school, and the Bible. It doesn't matter what it is. Here's what I've seen. I can try, and I'm not going to stop trying. But in a single moment, a single service, God can move in. And so radically change the heart of that child or that woman or that man or that person. And what they heard scores of times didn't change their behavior for a single day. Or maybe it changed it for a day or a week. And then they fell back into the same habits and the same patterns. But God did a moving in their life. And what fixed was permanent. I remember times in your Christian life where God moved in you. And what you thought you couldn't conquer, what you thought you couldn't change, God changed in a minute. God changed in a moment. Here's what God's going to do. What afflicted them for years in a moment, in an instant, was gone. She goes home. What's the Bible say? In Mark chapter 7, she goes home and she finds her daughter fine. The chaos over the whole entire home at peace. You know why you ought to beg for the presence of God? Because parents, what you're trying to fix in that child, you're beating your brains out trying to fix it in that child. You're losing your mind. You gotta say, oh God, I'm gonna keep trying, but what I need you to do is something that I can't do. So this fix is permanent. And your husband, listen, you lose your mind trying to change that man. But God can change him in an instant. Mm-hmm. That's what happened in this home. 
But here's the message this morning. Reading this text again as we work our way through Mark and meditating. I've read Mark 7, I don't even know, probably a hundred times in the past couple weeks. You know what phrase just keeps jumping out? Be it unto thee. When I say Mark 7, Matthew 15, those two sister texts, those two sister stories. Over and over and over and the same phrase every time jumps out. Be it unto thee as thou wilt. Woman, how great faith. It's only said twice and two Gentiles, never to a Jew. Now, God only gave us six or seven verses in each passage to dissect the source of that faith and what was done. It was a knowledge of who she was and a knowledge of her problem and a knowledge of God that helped develop that faith in a great way. But Christ said, I can't discourage this woman. No matter how I delay, how we respond. Her faith has been tested. It's strong faith. It's adamant faith. It's determined faith. It's unoffendable faith. And this woman is saying, Christ, give me a crumb. I'll be happy. But I'm not leaving. Until you fix that problem in my home. I'm just not leaving. And Christ said, Here's my signature. Here's the check. You go cash it. Let me ask you this. Do you have enough faith to say, God, I'm not leaving. I'm not walking away. I'm not getting offended. I'm not getting discouraged. I know you've delayed. At times you've been silent. Something's been said in such a way I feel it's demeaning. But guess what, God? I'm pursuing this until you work. Because I want to hear those words. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt.